When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need from America's Mortgage Mentor. With more than 30 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings, you'll learn to take your mortgage practice to new heights. Certified Mortgage Planner and CEO of KineticSparkConsulting.com, here is Jennifer Duplessis. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Mortgage Lending Mastery. I'm your host, Jen Duplessis. We are so delighted today to have a colleague and good friend of mine um, with us, and you guys are going to be so excited to listen in on this interview with Mr. Steve Grossman, who is the CEO of NJ Lenders up in New Jersey. Welcome, Steve. Hey, Jen. Good morning. You know, we I have wanted to have you on the podcast for a really long time, as you know, and <laughs> we just had really busy yep. schedules. Um, but I wanted to um, share with our listeners, you know, with, with um, about your business and and um, so that just so that everybody understands a little bit of background. Um, are you were you in twenty fifth or twenty fifteen? Were you in the top one hundred in the country or the top two hundred? I believe in the top one hundred. Yeah, and so you've been in the top two hundred or one hundred for how many consecutive years now? Fifteen. I would say 15 to 16. I think one year I just uh, forgot to submit my data. Yeah, yeah, dug on it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay, so let's let's kind of lay some groundwork here on what you did. What was your volume last year? Um, and this is you personally, not your not your company. This is just of me. Course. This yeah. is me. Yeah. Um, you did about 120 ish, um, about 240 units. Uh, I don't somewhere around there. Okay. And what's this year look like in 2016? And here we are talking, it's what, uh, middle middle of October while we're recording this. I think this year I'll end the year at a minimum of $150 million, a minimum of 300 units. Okay. Excellent. So let's talk about your team. How does that happen? How do you how do, you do that kind of volume? And by the way, which, well, 300 units, I can calculate that, but... So tell us about your team, how to, or tell us about how you got into the mortgage business, how this has all come come to, to be and come to pass, you know, in 2016 for you. Sure. I'll answer the second question first. So okay. like many people that are listening here, uh, they didn't go to college, high school, or do whatever they did beforehand and says, I'm going to be a loan officer in the mortgage business. It's almost a, um, like a secret. And I kind of fell into it like most. I uh, went to college, went to graduate school, graduated graduate school in the late 80s where the, um, the economy was kind of pretty bad and so was banking. And it was right after the stock market crash in 1986. So I fell into commercial mortgages. Um, I did that for three years and I did that at a really bad time. It's when the RTC was taking over all banks and it was very hard to do what I do uh, or did do what I did. And then I just kind of fell into the residential mortgage business and I fell into it about 1991, just started with a uh, small mortgage company. And I then joined NJ Lenders in 1994 and I became a partner in 1998. And at the time when I joined the company, we had about six employees. Now we have about 200. 
And uh, we're bankers in about six or seven states, but predominantly 80% of what we do is in New Jersey. And uh, so that's kind of how I fell into the business. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, like many others, I didn't, I didn't have a godfather back there, and I didn't have somebody directing me. And a lot of the resources that are available today with various training programs and podcasts like this, if they were available, I was unaware of them. Um, and I think I kind of had to teach myself how to become a better loan officer. A lot of it, I used to attend the mortgage originator conferences, and I would look at mortgage originator magazine to see who was doing what, where, and how, and I'd copy the people. And in time, I went ahead and built up a practice. Um, as far as my current team, I have really two people on the front line with me. One is Patrick Cunningham. He's tremendous. He's a licensed loan officer. Um, and uh, he would be my L1, my, my loan officer, production partner, um, helps me with a lot of the day-to-day stuff, helps me run my pipeline, uh, speaks to customers, does a lot of mortgage coach illustrations for me, um, talks to many clients when I'm not here, uh, and also deals with a lot of problem clients. I have another gentleman, Ali Ames, and Ali um, does everything from answering the phone, to so pre-approvals, to run my CRM, to do my marketing, uh, to help also the processors do certain things on the file. So there's really me and two others. And then I have what would be equivalent to almost two full-time processors, one to three-quarter processors. I have one full-time, and I have quasi-full-time, and I have two half of other processors that are shared with other loan officers. So if you want to look at my team, it's really uh, two people on the front line and two people in support. Right, right. So so tell us a little bit about, um, and I love that you use Mortgage Coach Ads because, you know, that's something that, that um, I use as well. And I try to get everybody on the podcast to start using because it just really is a differentiator. And I know that you're going to talk more about that as we get, you know, through the, through the interview here. But um, your typical day, so how, the, how Patrick and Ali, you know, kind of fit into your typical day. How are you... Um, how are you running your typical day at a hundred, you know, hundred and fifty million dollars a year? And to be honest with you, I don't really work as hard as I used to. I work smarter. Um, mm-hmm. I think also the quality leads are better. I have a very high conversion on my leads, and we do a really good job in following up with our leads. Um, I think depending on the market, sometimes we're more in the attack mode and we're going after the business, and certain markets we're more in the reactive mode or we're just picking up the phone. But what we try to do is um, a good portion of our day is we're always hunting for business. A good portion of a day we're kind of just returning calls and working on either problem files or, or structuring existing files that are in process and uh, just kind of just managing the day-to-day operations of the business. We all have different roles. What I do is I purposely, I don't email my processors. I don't call my processors. I meet with them two to three times a week. That's it. Very infrequently do we even call or email them. So I try to have pipeline meetings. I try to empower them to do their business. I empower uh, my two um, production partners, Patrick and Ali, to do their business. I don't micromanage them, and it's helped them grow as professionals, and it helps them help me run my business. I probably have four to five, six loans a month that are referred to me. I don't even speak to the clients, and they close it for me. And those people continue to come back because they look at my team as as an extension of me. Right. And I think, you know, and that's what you've done is you've built a customer experience, you know, and that's something that... that, um, you know, we always talk about it and you hear it a lot in the industry and especially when you're a new loan officer or a loan officer who's kind of struggling and doing that, you know, three to five a month is, 
letting go, you know, that they want me, they want, you know, it's all about me when in fact it's about the experience the person has with you and the experience that you bring, you know, to your realtor or to your realtor and other referral partners that if you can duplicate that using other team members, you're going to continue to have that same business line. Wouldn't you agree? I think you have to, Jennifer, is um, what you'll find is that whether your your threshold is five units, seven units, ten units, fifteen, whatever your number is, there's so much some bandwidth. And one of the greatest things about this business is the flexibility. If you're young and immature, the flexibility and autonomy can be your worst enemy. But if mm. you're diligent and focused and mature um, and can balance your life, the freedom of this business is tremendous. Uh, how you can yeah. spend time with your family, attend your kids' events, and do whatever you want to do, do your hobbies, your recreation, your health-oriented things. Um, but I think it's really key to when you, you, you bring people on your team, you also bring the right people. We truly believe in disc assessments. Um, yeah. First, I recommend everybody listening to this call is disc assess themselves. Jennifer, you could reach out to her directly, and she could tell you how to do that. And then when you go ahead and hire, you want to hire people that are skilled, have the opposite skills that you have. And you hire, you want to hire kind of against yourself. Um, so this way, when you build a team, you build a team that could you may be great at something, hire somebody that's great at something else. And uh, that's also helped me grow is the areas that I'm weak in, my two people on my team are better at those areas than I am. Right, right, absolutely. So um, kind of looking back on your career, you know, bringing, because we just kind of jumped up forward to what your team looks like now. What do you think is some of the... what? a tipping point or several tipping points that you had along the way that helped you realize um, not to do business a certain way um, and maybe start doing things a different way. Do you have a specific tipping point in mind where you said this is where the rubber hit the road and from that point on I never looked back? Sure. I'll give you three tipping points. Okay. One is um, in 1998 was the first time um, I was in the industry for four years. I really didn't know what the word CRM met was. Um, I didn't know anybody used one except one guy in my company. Uh, his name is Charles Shulman. He's been on a CRM um, since 1994. So when you speak to a lot of loan officers in the industry who have even been around that long, very few of them have been on the same CRM for that many years. Charles turned me to use a CRM. And to me, I tell people all day long is I have two choices, CRM or cell phone. Pick one of the two. You could have my cell phone. Is I got a landline, but never take away my CRM. So one is um, knowing that I have a CRM, knowing where all my data is, knowing who I have to call today, what I have to talk to them about, having a place that I could go back to old files, old contacts, and a tremendous resource. So you, you, the, the, so really, uh, starting to utilize the CRM was number one. Okay. So let me let me just stop. Yeah, no problem. Um, so let me just stop you there. So let's let's let everybody know what CRM you use. I currently use um, two CRMs. Um, okay. Is one, um, I used a CRM. It's a Salesforce overlay called Jungo. Um, uh-huh. And that's a very good CRM, um, but it does not, with our LOS, it doesn't connect with our LOS at this time. Um, another CRM I use is Mortgage Returns. Mortgage Returns is more of a marketing solution that is a true CRM. Um, the whole key is a lot of, there's a great lot of stay in touch campaigns in the industry that people could look at and it's irrelevant kind of on what you do. It's the concept that you have to do something. It's like going to the gym. You could go to the gym as long as you show up and go there for an hour, 
you're going to get benefit from it. As long as you do something, if you, as long as you have a CRM, you're going to get benefit from it. So yeah. a follow-up marketing campaign is that's the e-birthday cards or the newsletters. That's one thing. But you have to have something in play where you have a source where you could look at all your leads, gather your leads, continue to know who you have to call that day, follow up on your leads, because the hardest thing in this business is to make the phone ring. I don't know the statistics, I'm sure you do, Jen, is like many salespeople, oh, 80% call the back the person once, and then 72nd, and 30, 40% right. of the time, right. whatever, three, the, you know these statistics, is yeah. that yeah. you have to have a tool, because the old expressions are either going to buy from you or they're going to die, and you have to follow these leads until they buy or die, and most law officers don't have a tool. So um, you do need a toll to have a CRM. Mortgage returns is not really that type of turn. Um, a Jungo is, but there's a lot of other um, alternatives or options in the industry. Um, uh, Gibran at CMPS has a good one also. It's a relationship planner. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of these are two, three-year company. And the other thing is it's, it's a catch-22 with CRMs is that in order for them to truly work in today's environment and what the consumer and the realtor wants, it has to connect to your LOS. So you could do trigger notifications throughout the manufacturing of the loan and post-closing. However, for all loan officers listening to this, that means you're going to be tied to the CRM that your company offers. I always believe to make sure, in a way, you always have to have your own CRM because you want it to be portable because maybe one day your company's not there or you get in a fight with your manager or you have a better opportunity. You want to make sure that you have ability to uh, have your data portable. Right, right. So can we, you know, can we, um, and I'll get back to the second and third ones here, but can we talk about the story and the example that you've given so many times about the car dealership and the jeweler sure. and the importance well, of a CRM? 100%. Um, I'm married 21 years this November, and like many gentlemen who get married, they are extorted to by their fiancé or girlfriend, whoever boyfriend at the time, <laughs> uh, an engagement ring. And it's probably the biggest acquisition they ever make. And um, so I went in, and I remember I went to, um, I forgot the guy's name, was at Fran Lippy Jeweler, and I went and had an engagement ring. Of course, I had to borrow money from my parents and everything. I didn't have any money. It wasn't completely hocked up at that time. And I went ahead and bought the biggest purchase I ever did in my life, one-time purchase, because, of course, I didn't finance it like I did a car, but it was the biggest one-time purchase. That was 22 years ago, right? If I'm going to be married 21, 22 years ago. Well... What I always say, if that jeweler knew my birth date, if that jeweler knew my wife's birth date, if that jeweler knew um, my anniversary date, and he called me uh, three weeks before my wife's birthday, or three weeks before my anniversary, or three weeks before Mother's Day, or three weeks before Valentine's Day, and say, hey, it's Sharon's birthday, maybe, or anniversary, how about you getting her a gift? And a jeweler, you're going to buy jewelry multiple times throughout your life. And as if, if, if the normal progression of income goes is the more, the older you get, you probably buy more expensive jewelry. And who knows, if you get divorced, you buy another engagement ring. So I always felt that if that jeweler captured my data, other than maybe sending me a postcard that there's a sale, and he contacted me on a regular basis, he could have had a customer for life. Customer life is a takeaway here. And I use the same thing with a car dealership is everybody listening to this, think of the first car that you bought. Well, mine was a 280Z 1977. (laughs) It was used. But I remember when I got my first Toyota Camry, and I went to a Toyota, I went to a Toyota dealership, and I and I went ahead and I financed the car. If that Toyota guy kept in touch with me X amount of years later, I can't tell you how many vehicles 
he could have sold or leased me because maybe now with all these corporate companies owning multiple dealerships, he could have sent me to the sister company when I stepped up to go ahead and buy a Volvo. Then when I stepped up to buy a Volvo, I got a Mercedes, and then I got this, I got that. And at the same time as I have children, if he knew six months before my kid was getting his driver's license, hey, Josh is going to be 17 years old uh, next month, what, what, what car do you want to get him? That person could have probably have sold me 20, 30 cars over the last, how long have I been growing cars? 25, 30 years? I don't know the number. But what I feel is we have to always make sure that when we get the opportunity and privilege to do business with somebody, it's our responsibility and our job, our job is to stay in touch with these people for the rest of their life. So anytime they need a mortgage, their family may need needs a mortgage or their friends need a mortgage, we are top of mind and we are the ones that they're going to call. But we can't expect them to remember our number and our name because most likely they're going to forget it. The only way they're going to remember your number and your name is if you stay in touch with them. And it's not just only with a drip marketing comp campaign. You may have to call them from time to time. And a one-year annual call is not a bad way to do to do a mortgage checkup because as we all know, people's lives change, their financial situations change, good, bad, or indifferent. And there's right. always great regrets. Sorry, Jen. No, no, absolutely. And you know what you've always said is you want to be the brand in their brain. Correct. You and know, we tell people is that, um, you know, if I, if I say to somebody, okay, tell me the name of your dentist, they'll know it. Tell me the name of your accountant, they'll know it. But there's a good chance if everybody on this phone call calls up a client from five years ago and said, what is the name of your mortgage person? There's a good chance that person doesn't remember it. Yeah. If you go ahead and send them stuff and call them and stay in touch and really manage their mortgage, that's a great loan officer. That's the difference between a, a loan officer that could close a loan and a great loan officer who manages clients' debt for life. Right. Bingo. Okay, so that's number one, CRM. Number two, what's the second tipping point? The second tipping point um, would be, um, and this is not in a priority order. I mean, CRM is number one, but the second tipping point was probably learning to do marketing. Is um, the first four or five years of my um, uh, career, I didn't do any outbound marketing. I didn't do newsletters. I didn't do emails. I'm really big on information. I mean, I'm not going to call somebody and email them and tell them to turn the clock back or wish them happy Fourth of July. I want to give them content that's valuable to them for their mortgage, as well as their other financial stuff in their life. So I believe the, the, also around 98, 99, so I was in the industry for five, six years, I realized that you have to do some type of stay in touch campaign. As I first started out with sensations using comical postcards, and I realized, you know what, that's not my style. I don't want to send them a goofy picture of uh, Santa Claus running through a brick wall and wishing them Merry Christmas. I wanted to do more financial related items, so I started to do that, and over the last um, 10 years of my career, it has grown tremendously um, to doing semi-annual mortgage um, uh, report cards to yeah. do a lot of different things, plus newsletters. So making sure, which comes into the whole thing with the CRM, because you need their information in order to have a marketing thing. The third thing, which mm -hmm. is very critical, and that's how Jennifer and I met, is um, I truly believe loan officers have to mastermind and they have to network with their peers because a lot of times we're within companies, we're within an office, we're within uh, a region or whatever it may be, and all we know is within our four walls. Um, probably 13, 14 years ago, a gentleman named Brent Hicks, who's a tremendous producer out of Texas, contacted me, a well just called me out a mortgage originator, and he sent out a survey, and we all got together, and I 
it's probably 13 years and he's one of my closest friends now, but he put together a mastermind group of six or seven loan officers from around the country. And since then, this group has um, gone into other groups and other groups. And we've just, the friendships and the networks and the information we've gained from each other, uh, purely sharing and exposing every aspects of our trade to one another has um, mutually helped every person in our mastermind network group grow their business. And we also become great peer advisors. So whoever's listening to this call, I recommend that you do a mastermind group. And if you don't know people outside your region, um, you you could always ask Jen and she could probably hook you up with somebody because it's Mm -hmm. hard for somebody, your competitor, who's knocking on the same realtor door, tell you all their trade secrets. But if you find somebody two, three hours away or halfway across the country, they'll tell you everything. So masterminding the network is key. And you have to have um, these resources if you have a question is, what's a good CRM to use? What, how are you handling this marketing? Do you have any marketing material to go after matrimonial attorneys? Which financial presentation software are you using? You want somebody other than your direct manager or somebody within your organization to tell you what to do, not to say they're going to have the right or wrong answer, but it's always good to have peers who are going to tell you the honest opinion on what they're seeing out there and have multiple peers. So masterminding the network has also been probably one of my top three greatest um, life changers since I've been in the industry. Yeah, and I would agree because, you know, I mean, that's that's one of the things you and I've talked about before is, you know, establishing the team. And what do you call these, you know, each one of these um, positions? You know, you've mentioned um, production partner, which I have as well, uh, mortgage planners. But, you know, in no case are we um, using the word loan officer assistant, which so many people do. But I learned that through the mastermind, you know, and through and hanging around with, with you and Craig and, and Brent is, you know, to make sure that our handoff and this is one of the key and critical things about team management, our handoff is not a hand down. It's a hand up. These sure. are the people that are better to serve and take care of you at this stage of the process than, than me. And so just little things like that, um, you know, along with what you and I were just discussing about the um, customer service, I mean, the uh, customer experience officer that we have with Apex and that you're now exploring, you know, for right. your company. One of the things, if you go back to the early part of this uh, conversation, was that when I referenced um, Ali and Patrick, I called them my production partners. Because mm-hmm. if you're speaking to a client, and my clients tend to be um, very highly educated, uh, white-collar individuals if um, that are used to working with the decision-maker, be me, but if I say, I'm going to put you on with my assistant, they don't want to yeah. speak to the assistant, they want to speak right. to the boss. But if you say, I'm going to put you on my production partner, um, they feel that that person's an equal. And when I pass the baton, I clearly state, when you speak to Patrick, it's like speaking to me. And he's going to, because we've worked together for so many years and we literally sit right next to each other, is what he's been trained to communicate to clients is only by sitting next to me and hear me speak to thousands of clients because it's really, I say the same thing to everybody in, in that type of situation. So right. he, he's going to respond to the client's questions, needs the same way I am because I trained him that way. 
Um, and it, we don't, a lot of people do scripting, which I think is tremendous. I don't do scripting, but I think he has learned a lot from me by being next to me and he's going to handle the client. And so will Ollie the same way I'm going to. So it's really key when you pass the baton and you're doing the relay race that you pump up your production partner. And also when you pass the file over to the processor, you let the client know that from this point on, Dawn is going to be handling your file. Dawn's a great processor. Uh, she's very skilled. Uh, she she knows more about pushing the paperwork than I do. So if you have any questions, deal with Dawn. And if she asks for something, you got to give it to her. Because and I, I, I don't even get CC'd on the emails between my processor and my customer. I don't want to be CC'd. I don't want to see the documents. I don't want to be involved. That's not my job. That's not, what, that's not the best use of my time. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing all that. So now I want to move into a couple different things. And I, you know, I want to talk about all kinds of stuff with you to, you know, really, really, get, I mean, if you're listening to this, we're talking to one of the top 100 loan officers in the country, you know, so listen, listen to this two, three times because, you know, Steve knows his stuff and he knows how to make, you know, a, a great living in this, in this industry. And, um, you know, and I just adore you. So, all right, so let's move on to something that you talk about a lot and that's fiscal literacy. Okay. In the business. So we have loan officers who quote rates, and then we have loan officers who are fiscally literate. What do you mean by that? So as a owner of a company or partner in a company and someone who's had the privilege to um, listen to and work and train and be around many loan officers in my career, I'm shocked on what comes out of many people's mouths. Uh, instead of using the word uh, cash out refinance, they may say refinance cash out. Um, instead of using the word 80-10-10, they may be use 80-10-20. Well, you and I know that adds up to 110%. Right. <laughs> right. So what I find is that um, there's a lot of loan officers out there which uh, skilled people like people on this call that are willing to improve upon their skills are not like that other group. There's so many people in our industry that when they speak to clients, they, they, they sound like idiots. And we have to recognize that we are talking to an individual about one of, or if not, their biggest financial decision and transactions are going to make in their life. I deal with a lot of very successful people. And they are involved, whether it's lawyers, doctors, Wall Street people, or self-employed entrepreneurs, big business decisions all day long. However, when it comes to their, from their mortgage, there's an emotional attachment to this. It's not just a financial decision. So mm -hmm. it's a very big emotional and it's a very big financial. So when you're speaking to somebody, you have to be very clear on what words leave your mouth. And also, it's very important for us to be a little well-versed in other aspects, whether it's knowing financial projects, like products, excuse me, knowing what the rules and laws are about borrowing from a 401k or a Roth IRA or taking from a margin account or knowing the tax benefits of home ownership and how you can alter dependence on your W-4 form, knowing how to read a tax return, knowing what's going on in the world and what's going to impact the financial markets. I do not predict interest rates. I don't tell people to lock or not to lock, but at least I know I could talk about it. Um, when I talk to a business person, when they get off the phone with me, they realize that I'm probably equally or more skilled than the other person they're, they're, they're also interviewing to handle their mortgage needs. And it's a level of confidence that I portray 
but it's also based on the knowledge I have on the industry. And I think it's really important that people should spend time in becoming more fiscally literate on the product we sell, the industry we're in, as other ancillary financial products and tax returns that are very important to what we do because you need to be an expert at that. You don't need to be able to prepare a tax return, but you better know how to read one. And there's a lot of loan officers that don't, don't know how to do that. And um, I think when you develop a high level of fiscal literacy, when you speak to a client and you come with confidence, and you don't have to say, I got to go ask my manager this question, or I don't know how to do this. Well, if you come across with a lot of confidence and, 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 and just be straight with the people, the people sense it on the phone. It's like if you're scared of dogs, a dog could sense it. A client, when they speak to a very skilled, fiscally literate loan officer, they sense it. So everything being equal, because we all know that is a very competitive rate environment, they're going to work with you versus the other loan officer that they're speaking to because they're going to feel more comfortable that you know what you're doing and you're going to get them to the finish line. Right. Well, you know, and the other thing that you said that, that I just love this analogy of is, you know, are you a, do you have a PhD in lending? And, you know, nobody wants to talk to the nurse, right? They want Correct. to talk to the doctor. And so you have to be the expert and you have Correct. to make sure that people understand that you're the expert. So you can't go out with marketing things and saying, you know, hey, I'm great and I'm the expert. And be careful, too, because we, you were just talking um, before about the um, quality and value add of the content, you know, in your uh, marketing efforts. One of the things that we both use, you know, is um, CMPS, the Certified Mortgage Planning um, Institute. And, you know, the content is incredible, content, you know, and it really does elevate us. But beware, because if you're just going to sign up and be, you know, a CMPS that you can have all the neat, you know, newsletters, you better be able to talk the talk when you send that kind of stuff out. Mm-hmm. You I know, agree. and I think, I think that's, you know, crazy important. All right. So, so let's, one of, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. What I was going to say, one of the standard, um, conversations I have in my repertoire when I'm dealing with individuals who are currently renting is a tax benefit of home ownership. And I think it's very important because a lot of people, um, it's very, in most metro areas, rents are very expensive or in all areas it is, it's all relative. And I think people, um, there has been a tremendous amount of wage growth in the country and uh, people have a harder time saving money and that's why a third of all loans in the country are FHA or another government sponsored loan with only maybe three and a half percent down. So um, I think it's really important that when an individual is going from paying 2000 a month to paying $2,600 a month, when you explain to them the tax benefit and the fact that they're amortizing some of the debt, they're going to be better off than they currently are in their rental environment and they're not making their landlord rich. So I think it's really important that you become astute in tax benefits of home ownership, also yeah. knowing where when a person earns a certain amount of income where it may not benefit them as much as it will somebody at a different income bracket. And I think you also have to understand the tax code also. Um, and that's things that are, mm-hmm. uh, that are also part of what we do. Right, right, and exactly. So let's, let's add, let me ask you this then. So where, where, if someone's listening to the podcast, aside from CMPS Institute, because you and I are both advocates of that, and that's where a lot of our knowledge came from, you know, I know yours came from someplace else because <laughs> you have an MBA. <laughs> but um, where where would someone go to start learning aside from CMPS? Give us some ideas on on where do you learn? Where do you continue to grow as a life learner? Well, you know, a lot of it is through. Um, well, as far as 
from a from a fiscal literacy, I'm not sure if I have a good answer for that, other than potentially reading the newspaper, reading the uh, listening to the financial news, uh, sitting down with an accountant to uh, learn about tax returns. Maybe I'm sure everybody here has an insurance broker. You should know all about what's the difference between whole life universal and you know a lot of people if they have whole life you could borrow against it. A lot of you know how you could use a reverse mortgage as a tool for an estate planning. So you can network. You can gather information from uh, people within your sphere of influence, whether it's an accountant, a financial planner, or maybe a, uh, a money manager who will manage their stocks and bonds. So you can sit down with people within your sphere to learn about their products. Um, but in addition is I'm always out there, and part of my network group, I also believe in coaching. Um, and I coach with um, a company called L360. I'm a client of theirs. It's Tim Brahim, who's a tremendous coach, and he's, it's a life changer. So I believe you need some form of, of uh, management or self-help, if you will, or somebody there that could help guide you in setting goals and, and learning how to you know, improve um, your, your business practice as well as maybe personal things you want to get through also. Yeah, yeah. and I, didn't you mention to me a long time ago, not a long time ago, but didn't you obtain your Series 7 and 63? I did, um, and I'm not. I did, but it, it was basically it was a confused period of my life. Uh, to be honest with you, I wasn't <laughs> sure if I wanted to stay in this business. I don't encourage people to do that. I mean, I I had my 63, I had my seven. I did the educational requirements for life and health. I never took the test. I thought, you know, 15 years ago I'd be able to do both, and that wasn't a very good idea. But you know, because I did that, it clearly has helped me be more knowledgeable about different products. I'm not going to encourage people to do that because it's a lot of time. And I also don't encourage people to sell multiple products. I, this is what we do, and we have to be the best at it. If we come across selling multiple products, we're the jack of all trades, master of none. So I'm not going to say people should kind of follow my footsteps. It clearly helped me, but there's probably a little bit easier and quicker ways to do it through whether it's CMPS or networking and um, masterminding uh, with some of your uh, referral partners that are financial advisors or accountants or lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for sharing all that. Um, I want to move on to marketing, just some some peripheral marketing, not not your drip campaigns, your mailers and things like that. Talk about some of the things that you do outside of, you know, how do you develop business and develop relationships with your referral partners? How are you going about doing that? I mean, you're, are you doing milk runs? Are you doing the paper route like a lot of loan officers no, do? I don't do that anymore. <laughs> and I know you don't. Um, I know you I don't, don't do that anymore. But I do, I, there are, maybe I'll do an open house from time to time because it's a great place. Within an hour and a half, I could go to an open house um, on a, you know, during the caravan day and I have an opportunity to see 10, 15, 30, 40 realtors um, in, in an hour and a half of my time. Uh, what I've learned is that, like many people, I did the milk run. I had the paper route. I went up the street, down the street. Um, but then I realized um, as my career matured is, it is, I don't regret doing it because no one told me anything different ended up working for me. The initial area that I, I targeted and I canvassed was probably not the initial area that I ended up growing my practice in. I stumbled upon certain things. What, the only piece of advice I give um, loan officers on this call is that, I'm going to give you an analogy. I deep sea fish and I've been fishing with my captain. His name is Captain Bobby um, for 20 years. So Captain Bobby is one of the greatest fishermen I've ever met in my life. So when I go out with him, I'm going to jinx myself. We catch fish almost all the time because if it's bad, he doesn't take me. 
And when he takes me in the ocean, he doesn't take me in the ocean. He takes me in the ocean where the fish are. So the same thing is when you target real estate agents, where I've gotten smarter, is I try to target real estate agents that do buy-side transactions. So I don't have a limit because everywhere in the country there's different limits. We're in a more resale market. We don't have a lot of new construction. But I think is you have to be smarter. You just can't go to an office and end up talking to the person for an hour to only realize that they do one loan, one one. one transaction a year. I think it's very important that you do your research and the internet's a wonderful thing um, and uh, you have to network and target people who are doing business as opposed to doing the milk run and talking to whoever talks to you and eventually building your practice aimlessly. In today's market, in today's world, you have to be very strategic in targeting who you want to do business with and then going after that individual. Okay, so what are some suggestions you'd give to someone who's you know a little nervous about Going out there and, and doing that because a lot of the coaching that I do, um, th- usually the number one thing is lead generation, and I need more. I need more realtors. You know, I just need more. So, what what kind of advice would you give to someone who's just starting out? Well, not not new in the business, but just saying, you know, now I'm going to do it the right way. I want to go after specific realtors or have just a short list of realtors. What kind of what kind of um, I'm trying to think of the word. <laughs> what kind of what kind of uh, checklist? I'll, I'll use that. What kind of checklist would you Consider for someone who's just starting to do that. You know, do you want to go after the the big fish, the middle fish, you know, all the guppies that are out there? How do you, how, what are some of the criteria and the profile that you'd be looking at? Sure. I don't have the secret sauce on this, and I could just give you some ideas and suggestions, and everybody could take it from there. I assume most loan officers, um, at least in our market, work in kind of a geographic zone, whether it's a town, a county, uh, a region, whatever it may be. So the first thing I advise is you have to know who the players are and you have to get in the club. And what I mean by that is you have to get some form of exposure and you have to kind of be in an environment where your name keeps on popping up. So the first thing I recommend is join the that local real estate association or local real estate boards, whatever it may be. The second thing you can do to get exposure is if you can sign up and maybe get accredited to teach CE or just go ahead and go to the events, sponsor things in the events, get to know, be a familiar face because in the community. The second thing is um, in all these boards they have, it's now called the Circle of Excellence. It used to be gold, platinum, bronze, whatever it is. Understand who the players are. Understand who the rookie of the year is or the, 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 the person who gets the award for great achievement and stuff like that. And really start understanding the players and, and, and start getting active in the market and know, let them know who you are and um, you'll see who they are. A lot of times when you go to these functions, the people that actually attend the functions are not really the people that are selling a lot because the people are selling a lot are out selling and a lot of the people that attend these um, functions are people that would be volunteered, that would I will call them do-gooders or great people, though. But these people could also actually be great uh, uh, influencers for you. Um, so it's a chicken and egg thing because I think if you have – someone's going to eventually throw you a bone or you're, you have a lot of transactions going on and doing old school networking within the transactions, the buyer agent, the listing agent. If you're in an attorney state, the buyer's attorney, the seller's attorney. Um, I don't attend closings anymore. Um, I used to. I think attending closings is a great thing for an individual to do. Um, it's a great opportunity to meet people. And what you want to do is you want to vet out the people because if 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 you if during the transaction if you call up the listing agent and say hey listen I'm going to handle the mortgage here if you need anything you call me this is my number and let them know when the loan's approved. Some people do weekly status reports. I don't do that, um, but 
I know it works. Um, what we try to do is just if we think it's an agent that does a decent amount of business and it's somebody that we feel that we would want to work with and they'd want to work with us, um, we would stay in touch with them more aggressively during the transaction. Uh, we may send them some form of a post-closing gift. Um, or a marketing piece, and then if possible, we may set up a call to see if we can meet with them. So I think you have to work within um, your transactions. That's one way. It's kind of like um, that's that's. I don't know if that'd be ground up. You also have to work within your environment, top down, meeting all the players, and it's just a combination of everything. And uh, we're in an attorney state, and there's a number of attorneys in all these towns that are the go-to attorneys. Well, network with attorneys. Uh, maybe you could refer them some refinances. It's a way to get business. But you, you want to kind of just be part of the club. And once you're part of the club, you understand who the players are and, and constantly ask for business. And there's a line that I think you taught me, Jen, is you could say to somebody, it's okay if I'm number two. I know you have a number one guy, but I'm okay if you're number two. And if by chance it doesn't work with number one, I'd greatly appreciate to be number two. And if I could ever help you out or if you have a problem loan or if, if your loan officer's away or if you want to give your client another name, I don't have to be your number one person right now, but maybe one day I will be. But it's okay if I'm number two and um, I welcome any business you potentially refer to me. Right, and I think you know in those particular situations, you know, it's then then the role com- or the uh, responsibility relies uh, lies on us to continue to provide value and good content to that person as they are deciphering that. You can't just say, you know, okay, that's fine, I'll just be there waiting. You you've got to provide information that eventually outperforms the person they're working with. You know, right. you're you're truly earning business. One of the things that I've done recently, and um, I don't have it completely formalized. I've been doing it informal, but it's been very successful for me. Is um, I don't want to use the word I coach realtors, but um, I try to align myself with uh, the the top 10, 15, 20% of the realtor community um, just because those are the people that I feel I do well with. Um, I don't, I lose patience for newer realtors. This is just who I am. I've been doing it for a while and I don't, I will do group settings and educate them, but I don't want them to call me, um, 20 times a day because if the transaction doesn't go through, they won't be able to pay their rent or their mortgage. So, um, I try to overall build relationships with successful realtors uh, that value the relationship. But what I've also been able to help them is helping them grow their business. I've helped coach them. I help them grow teams. I've introduced them to CRMs. I help them coach on their CRMs. I teach them how to disc their people um, uh, in, in, in building um, you know, the teams on who's the right person to be on the bus. Um, I've also set up some realtor masterminds. You could pick three or four realtors from outside their region. Um, that are maybe 30, 40 miles apart or, and, and get them to meet, let them share ideas so you could create a, a peer. So if, you, if, if everybody's out of Caller Williams or Caldwell Banker or wherever your, your franchise and in your areas that's dominant is, it's good for them to speak to people outside their company. And it's good for them to pe- speak to people that are not within their competitive area. Um, their competing area. So um, I really, if I could show the realtors, and this doesn't cost money, it's just time. If I could show them on um, how to grow their business, and we have an individual here, Melissa, who's also on my team, um, but she works for the company also. Uh, I brought her in in many instances, and she'll go ahead and she'll advise on social media on how to use Facebook, LinkedIn, Mm-hmm. to help boost their business. So I can bring people within my organization 
or was on my team um, to go ahead and help these agents grow their business. And it doesn't cost any money. It's not an MSA. It's not a co-marketing. It's not a Zillow thing. Um, all I'm right. doing is giving them advice because I'm skilled in, in running a team and I have all these other bells and whistles around me. I could teach other people how to use it. And that sets me apart from somebody else. Right. And, you know, the fact of the matter is they're not getting it from their brokers. And we've seen that time and time again. Um, you know, and that's why I do as much training as I do in coaching for, for realtors as well. So I think that's, you know, really valuable. Um, one last question on just your, your business as a whole, your, your um, entire practice. What, what is your breakout percentage of realtors versus financial planners versus maybe builder business, online business, which I'm not sure you do, but, you know, what is your breakout of where your business comes from? I would say at least minimum is 50% of his previous customer referral or the previous customer. Mm -hmm. um, we're an attorney state, so I would say about 10% of my business is attorneys, uh, maybe 5%. Um, I don't think ten, 5 to 10 is financial planners and accountants, and a lot of it is realtor-driven. So I would say at least 30 to probably 40% of my business is through real estate agents, but I try to help. I try each year for the percentage of my businesses from previous clients for that to grow because yeah. um, the whole thing is you got to get to the you have to get to the customer first because whether it's they're looking online or if you did a loan for them five years ago with Realtor X and now they're real with Realtor Y, Realtor Y may have a new uh, mortgage person that they want to work with if that's somebody you don't know. So it's really important on the Stay in Touch campaigns to manage their mortgage for life, um, to know that you are their mortgage guy forever. So I want mm -hmm. each year, um, and it's also, it, it, it's a bond. It's My clients shot me on every deal. They nickel and dime me on every fee there is, and I, I accept that. But at the same time, I at least have an opportunity to win their business and that they think yeah. of me. So most of my business um, is or I would say is previous customers. Um, as far as builder business, I don't, I do zero builder business. So that wouldn't be something in my market. Right. So when the past client business, so is you're having Ali make um, out, go outbound phone calls, you know, calling your, um, your past clients, uh, scheduling annual reviews for you to do, what are some of the other things that he's doing when he's making those phone calls to, to, you know, bring that 50% of business in? You know, it's interesting. I mean, one of the things that also helped me, and I think loan officers have happy feet. They always think the grass is greener on the other side. Um, if you will want to know, going back to one of the questions on the tipping point, which wasn't a tipping point, it was a matter of circumstances, that the other reason it's made me successful is I've been at one place for 22 years, and mm -hmm. we're, there's loan officers that are at 22 places in five years. And how do you think you're perceived if you can't, stay at a place for two, three, four years or whatever it may be, you know, sometimes people, the consumer or the realtor partner thinks that, you know, yeah, maybe one time you could say, oh, it was a bad company or bad management. But if every couple of years you're jumping ship and going somewhere else, I think the consumer and the realtor thinks there's something wrong with you. So one of the benefits is that I've been at one place for so long is people know where to get me. Um, mm -hmm. So I have, I mean, today alone I had, um, Let's see, uh, one, two, three, four, and this is not an exaggerate. This was a good day. This is not a typical day. I had four previous customers reach out to me today. And right. it was and it was nothing based on an outbound. I mean, we do drip these people, but there was nothing that we did for to get them to call. It's just we are doing constant stay in touch campaigns with them. Um, it just happens, but it also right. happens. They know where to get me. I'm at the same yeah. phone number, the same cell number, the same email. Um, yep. 
And yep. that's yep. who I am. So, yeah. and I think I that's think, really key. Yeah, it's one of the things is always remember the grass isn't greener because at the end of the day, we still got to hump mortgages. And I know it's a frustrating job. It's a pain in the ass. And with Dodd-Frank and the CFPB, it, our job hasn't gotten easier. But you have to look at it that um, you can't look at what it used to be and you can't get frustrated. You have to wake up today and realize you were just put on this planet today. You just got into the mortgage business today, and these are the only rules you know. You can't say how it used to be easier, how it used to be better. This is what it is today. Right. Um, so, right. And I, I mean, we still have the best job in the world. There's no other job that gives you the flexibility, you know, if you use it to your advantage, not disadvantage, right, that pays mm-hmm. you per unit so much money. And, you know, to be consumed with what's going wrong is just ridiculous. You know, right. you have to be looking forward. So, okay, so as we wrap everything up, let me ask you what you're reading right now. I just got done listening to a book. I think it was called The uh, was it Four Elements. It was an okay book. Um, I don't, I'm not a great reader. Um, I don't uh, read books. I listen to books. Mm-hmm. Um, I listen to self-help books or more economic social type books. Um, um, but that's kind of what works for me, whether you read or listen. Um, I listen to books in the car. Um, so that's what I'm currently doing. That It was an okay book. So, um, but I think whether you, um, there's raving fans. I mean, there's so many mm-hmm. great books out there, which I'm sure Jen, you could share with, um, your your listeners yeah. um, that really have helped me. I mean, raving fans w- was a big one, and um, mm-hmm. it's a way also I think. Um, so, but um, have you there, read the Big one. Leap yet, or listened I to have. the Big Leap yet? Yeah, I've, yeah, I listened to that. I was just curious. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's my that's my most recent one. Um, okay, well, thank you for and that, sharing and that. that the Big Leap is a very good book for individuals when you're building a team to. To, to read or listen to that book because it you have it helps you define on who you are and more or less what you're good at but equally is what you're bad at or the things that you could do but you don't like doing so right. that that's a very good book to help you understand who you are and also doing some time tracking which is encouraged in that book yeah yeah and and you know again that all contributes to the customer experience and making sure that they do have the same customer experience just other people are going to be participating in in making that happen um so so as we wrap up today steve what um what would you like to leave with us we're We're all listening in I've got you know like almost five thousand listeners now subscribers Wow, and they want to know what Steve Grossman wants to leave with us. If he had one thing that he could say to everybody to just amplify next year. That's good. I should have thought of that one. Um, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of things. I mean, I'll just say it's just say say four things then. Yeah. One, just do the right thing. Your 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 word is your bond, and you got to live. You got to die by the sword, live by the sword. If and I close many loans, it costs me money. I close loans where it cost me fifteen, twenty thousand dollars to close a loan because I told somebody I could do it. And even if I screwed up on it, or if my assistant forgot to lock it and the market sold all four points, I live and die on what I say. I never change the rules of the game, even if I make a mistake, which I make plenty. So that's number one. Number two is if you don't use a CRM, you have to use one. Um, I think without a CRM, that is going to separate. 
the difference between you and your competitor in your capture of um, your referrals. I also like to use, if you're not using a financial tool like a CMPS or a mortgage coach, you have to use something because if you're dealing with an individual who, and you're working on their biggest financial decision in their life, you just can't quote them a rate over the phone. You can't send them an email. You can't give it to them on a napkin. You have to give it to them in a very professional presentation. And you really have to separate yourself up and from, 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 from your peers. So um, just really become a better all-around loan officer um, and just really work not only in your business, you have to work on your business and on yourself. Right. Right. And I think the other thing that you've always said, I just want to leave with that, too, is that you've always said your job starts the day the loan closes. Correct. It's not about the process of getting there. It's when the loan closes, that's really when you're creating that bond with the client and continuing to keep it going. Proof's in the pudding. There's a couple hundred thousand people who do what we all do and could close loans. But I can honestly say... um, a couple hundred thousand people don't get 50% of their business from previous customer referrals or a couple hundred thousand people are not on the top mortgage list. So if you go to these mortgage lists since the beginning of time, there's a common theme. If you speak to 100, 200, 500 of these people, there's probably 70 or 80% of what they're all, what each of these people are doing that are being done by every balance on these lists. So yeah. look at the people that are doing the business and kind of mirror what they're doing and, and, and do the right thing and your business will grow. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Steve. It has been great to chat with you and I'm so excited that we had you on here. Uh, so listen, everybody, if you're, you know, if you're listening and share this with your friends because, you know, what, what kind of opportunity do you get to talk to one of the, you know, top 100 loan officers in the country? And I think we're now somewhere around 600,000 licensed loan officers in the country. <laughs> so that says a lot about it. Um, listen to this podcast over and over and, you know, take some of the concepts that, that Steve has and, and um, you know, incorporate them into your business. There's nothing new. These are things that you've heard, but it's time to t- talk about implementing them to make a change in your in your business. So run on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Um, we'd love to hear what you had to say about it. And, um, again, Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to finally talk with me. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Jen, and have a great day. Okay, you too. Thank you for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a comment or rating. Get more free email updates, transcripts, selling and education resources, and Jen's upcoming speaking events. Just visit our website at kineticsparkconsulting.com.